Welcome to How Did You Get Here, the Career Path Podcast. This episode, we're talking to an abortion rights activist. Hi, guys. I'm Samaria Johnson. And Samaria and I go way back, like undergrad, way back. Um, (laughs) I was just telling someone the other day that I can't believe it'll be 10 years next year that I've graduated and I feel old but (laughs) no you feel old I still live here so I know (laughs) most importantly I I do want to acknowledge before we get too deep into the you know our questions and our discussion uh Samaria is a abortions right advocate in a time and place where it is currently uh outlawed more or less to have one so I think this episode timing especially it's just over a year since the overturning of roe v wade which is devastating but i've been very inspired by the work that she and the organization continue to do so in that vein uh, we're going to take a more lighthearted approach i think to our conversation while still keeping it incredibly real about being in the nonprofit sector uh <laughs> yeah i mean the ups the downs all of it so uh what was your very first job ever Um, I always feel like bragging when, uh, like I'm bragging when I give this answer, but it was at the British embassy in the passport office. Um, yeah. So those who don't know, which is all of you, um, I grew up in the DMV, um, the Maryland side of the DMV, um, right over the Woodrow Wilson bridge. So you're in DC one minute and then the next second you're in Maryland. Um, So I was 16 and Michael Jackson had just died. So I remember this Mm. very well. And my mom came home and told me that my youth minister needed a temp there, like where she worked, needed a temp for the summer. Um, And they asked her because they knew that she knew a ton of kids. um, If she had anyone responsible and it was me. (laughs) So, um, so I worked at the passport office Summer of 2009, uh, my first day, I watched Michael Jackson's funeral um, in my office. Uh, I did, yeah, I did data entry. So I handled passports from roughly J through like P. Wow. Um, So I would get them. I would have a stack of them every single morning that I would need to work through. So I'd have to put their information into the system and call them, which was my least favorite part call them if they had botched applications and then pass them along to the people who would actually approve them um so yeah so if you had if you sent your your uh passport to the dc office for renewal summer 2009 um and your last name was in the middle of the alphabet a 16 year old handled it um a 16 year old american handled it explicitly um, for 16 an hour um, which is a lot of money Uh, I mean that's still over minimum wage like now for most people (laughs) sad but yes (laughs) um and you know I learned a lot like I learned geography like how like exactly how many places are named after somewhere in the UK um because there was a there was a way to list that to file it in the database depending on if you were like from boston massachusetts or boston uk i didn't know there was a boston uk no there was a boston See? united kingdom today i'm um, the original boston okay. um 
I learned that there are a lot of people who get grandfathered in to their passports, their British passports. So if you were a citizen of the British Empire um, and had a passport or in the case of Hong Kong, you were just born in Hong Kong um, before your country got independence or in Hong Kong's case, returned back to China, um, you were allowed to have a British passport. So I processed a lot of passports from Nigeria, from Kenya, Hong Kong, all kinds of really cool places. So that's that was my first job. I love that right out of the gate you were involved in the government. Um. <laughs> <laughs> For the first and last time, um, though I, I, I guess arguably I'm still very much involved with the government. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so funny because that level of detail and, you know, you have to be on it. Like that level of just you cannot mess up one letter or one number. That's a lot for a 16-year-old. Yeah. Um, and they were, my coworkers were so nice. Um, like I was adopted by the office. The I don't know now, but in 2009, the British passport office was housed um, in like a little townhouse on the grounds cute. of the embassy. Um, it was very cute, very cozy. Like people fed me all the time. <laughs> Um, the dream. Like, they let me, like, have extra time on my lunch breaks without, like, getting penalized. Um, yeah, it was it was a great first job. I love that. That's such a cute little story. And I was laughing to myself when you said, I feel like I'm bragging. You're now the third guest I've had where something they've talked about, they've prefaced it by saying, well, I feel like I'm bragging, but as if that's not the entire point of these conversations. (laughs) Well, I mean, for you guys to connect with, you know, people who want to be where you are, but also just uh, (laughs) to, you can absolutely brag about yourself here. We we love it. But surely when you were growing up, you weren't like, I'm going to grow up and be an abortions rights activist. (laughs) So, um, or maybe no. you did it. I don't know. But what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I wanted to be a fourth grade teacher, specifically fourth grade. Oh, um, okay. Well, I always wanted to be a teacher, but my favorite teacher growing up until like high school taught fourth grade. Um, we oh. don't get along now, actually, because we are very politically different. Um, <sighs> yeah. So I yeah. attended from K through six. I attended conservative Christian schools um, where I grew up those were the best schools available Um, and my parents were adamant that I got the best education because Mm -hmm. I was they were like she's really smart we like we have to bite the bullet we have to sacrifice to send her to the best schools we can and those were the private schools Um, so like I adored her in the fourth grade like I was a very lonely (laughs) nine-year-old and she talked to us like adults and I liked that yeah Um, but I remember freshman year, like I posted something on Facebook about being pro-choice or pro-choice matter. And we got into it for hours on Facebook. Um, we just, yeah, the fundy Christian school to progressive left the left this politics pipeline is very strong yes um, uh, which I love it because that's kind of how we met (laughs) um yeah and like even a few of my teachers at that same school like got like went through it so yeah but she hasn't so man we we don't get along but she's still like in my mind like where we are now and where we were 20 Jesus Christ 20 years ago like (laughs) Um, doesn't like the present doesn't 
corrupt my memory of the past. And so, yeah. like, I still very much want to be a fourth grade teacher. Maybe, maybe one day. Um, I love that. And I also wanted to be an astronaut. Um, but it turns out I didn't like math enough to be an astronaut. So that that very, was it. <laughs> very important part of uh, being an astronaut, yes, is math, unfortunately. Uh, it's killed many a dream. But <laughs> I, I will live. I would have lived to see you up in space. Just like, I mean, listen, if people who shall not be named can have a company that continually launches rockets that crash like we can, you can you can do whatever you want in life <laughs> it's never too late yeah it's never too late so maybe maybe we'll have a miss johnson's fourth grade class one day uh that's so interesting though that you originally wanted to teach because i feel like so much of advocacy is teaching yeah like when we were when we were undergrads my like my favorite part of being a student activist was the peer education yes um like, I love sex ed nights. Those were fun. Um, I love tabling and handing out pamphlets, which I wrote myself. Um, yes. I did. Um, listen, I someone someone had to, had to get them from somewhere. So I wrote them myself. Um, and huh, like when I first, the first few years after graduating, when I was, you know, brand new to my career like I was really gunning for doing education in some way um hasn't worked out but that's doesn't mean it never will I can always return to it or you know pivot back to it but yeah teaching that's what I wanted to do still do that is it's perfect I can totally see you being like a miss honey love that (laughs) Uh, well what do you feel like was that sort of turning point in your career so it doesn't necessarily have to be a major event to other people, but it may have felt like a major event to you looking back. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> there can be more um, than one. I feel like I have to preface this every time. Yeah. It, <laughs> like, that's a therapy question, but that's okay. Um, I, it I, is. What's gosh. funny is we, we do have a therapist on this season, and she cried when I asked this question. So now I'm like, should I not ask this question? <laughs> I mean, it's okay. <laughs> Um, let's see. So my first job after graduation was in Utah, uh, Planned Parenthood Association of Utah. And I talk about trial through fire. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, no, no, it really was like in every, in every way. Um, it was like sink or swim. Um, and I was brought on as a community organizer. Um, that was literally part of my title. Um, and I got there February 2015 and I left almost exactly six months later in August. Um, so that's how that went. So (laughs) we can laugh now, but while it was happening, people listening while it was happening, Samari and I did not think it was funny. (laughs) It, it took me years to get over it. And it was a turning point, not just because of what happened, but because how it, affected literally every decision I made um probably honestly until the current job I have now like there is a direct line between what happened in Utah at Planned Parenthood Association of Utah to now and I can chart it very easily um so I didn't understand exactly what I was walking into which is very common like I graduated semester early so I was I was 21. I was a baby. Um, 
And, you know, I'm fresh out of UA, fresh out of the state of Alabama. And I'm like, well, if I can do pro-choice activism in Alabama, I can do it anywhere. And that is not true. Um, (laughs) And it wouldn't be true for anybody. Um, Like, culturally, they're so wildly different. Like, Utah and Alabama have nothing in common except for what they vote for. Um, And sometimes not even then. Um, Right. And so culturally, it was just a slap in the face. Um, Like even how they handle conservatism is different. Um, So Alabama Southerners are very, emotional is not the right word, expressive, I think is. Um, Like there's obviously a very strict behavior code, but if, you are going to know how someone feels. You're going to know it. You know, people aren't shy here. There's no real reservations. Like, doesn't mean people can't be shady or sneaky or underhanded. It just means it manifests differently um, versus out in Utah. Like, I think the best way to describe Utah is that they are place such a high premium such a strong emphasis on civility to the exclusion of everything else so Mm. it's the idea that if you're nice if you're polite if you do everything the right way then you can't possibly be rude and or rude things are acceptable because of how you package them right um which i guess you can argue is the same in the south but we don't get away with it down here (laughs) i was gonna say you don't i mean (laughs) I think that's something that kind of has gotten uh, a myth that has gotten spun over the years with the whole bless your heart thing, because I, the most direct people I know are actually Southern people. So I don't know where this myth came from that only in the North are they direct, but it's not the case, (laughs) y'all. We're speaking from I think it's actually more of an East-West thing than a North-South thing. Correct. Um, Absolutely. So I was just totally unfamiliar with this. Um... And it's very isolating. So, like, I, like, I'm used to being around a whole bunch of white people. That didn't phase me. But Utah taught me two Utah things. Utah like another level, I feel like. <laughs> Utah taught me two things. One, white people are the same everywhere. And two, white people are can be very, very different. <laughs> like, I thought I knew white folks because I was at, I was at the University of Alabama. I didn't have a freaking clue. <laughs> So I'm, so I'm like walking into Salt Lake, beautiful place, by the way, gorgeous, gorgeous in Wyoming too, for the record. And I, and you know, all the racist shit that people expected me to run into in Alabama, I ran into in Utah, but worse because people were so damn nice that I couldn't really prove it. Right. So like I've, I felt like I was going crazy like it was it was gaslighting honestly like in the original sense of the term absolutely um and I like I distinctly remember this one instance where I realized that my boss was a cop and I mean that literally she was a cop like that was oh. her that was her past life um and not just any cop she was a she was a honeypot cop so she would catch <gasps> like right she John yeah yeah Sex trafficking, oh. allegedly. Um, that kind of cop. I'm 
I, I'm okay. So this is an audio only episode, y'all. But my face, my mouth <laughs> is like a gog because I'm just like, what a pivot into working for Planned Parenthood. Like, what? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I have so many questions. Continue. <laughs> and this was the spring of Freddie Gray in Baltimore, oh, and Jesus. so I felt very connected to that. Like I didn't like. I'm from Maryland. I have that very, that very ingrained like DC side of Maryland and Baltimore side of Maryland mm-hmm. rivalry going on. Like I don't fuck with Baltimore, but it's still Maryland, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's still home. <laughs> so, so Freddie Gray was happening, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's me." Um, right, right. And so I remember I spent a whole day or two like just going through Twitter, going through Facebook, oh, like God. reading all the updates. Um, and then I was I had a one-on-one scheduled with my boss that day. And I remember telling her about this. And I'm thinking it's a safe space. One, because I'm 21 and I don't know any better. Two, because it's Planned Parenthood. <laughs> right. Um, and the look on her face where, like, I know she was, like, like really holding back a comment Mm. about like well what did he do to deserve it or some variation thereof or well okay but let's let's look at it both sides or worse (laughs) um like it was the first time I was like I am not safe here and it like with you at Planned Parenthood because until then it was more like I don't really fit in but just give it time and I'll figure it out but this was the moment where I was like Oh, like this is this might be dangerous for me. Um, so like Utah was just, and I was just lonely. Like you go there, and I was about to call them the LSD Church. Um, LDS, yeah, LDS. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's extremely insular. Like Utah right. is Utah's a theocracy. I don't know if people know this, but everything in Utah that happens that is created the entire infrastructure is mormon it's based on the church like from the grid in salt lake city the grid the center of the grid that it's based on is the temple um the major holiday like patriot like patriotic holiday in utah is not the fourth of july it's pioneer day which is i think july 14th um which I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. But, you oh, know, I love I love to listen to people who grew up in the LDS church talk about having to dress up on Pioneer Day and like cosplay Little House on the Prairie. And I'm yeah. just like, yeah, like I, it was just a regular day for me. And right. I get up, I go to work because I, I work for Planned Parenthood. So I don't have the day off like everybody else does. Right. And, the, you know, it's eight in the morning. Streets are packed. Road are closed. I'm like, what the what is Samaria, going on? I want you to know I'm trying so hard to not bust out <laughs> laughing because I can't imagine you as a black woman walking outside and seeing a bunch of white people dressed like it's the early 18. And they did. And there were literal <laughs> wagons. Okay. I, this I was some, uh, lost. What was that movie that came out with Janelle Monet not too long ago where she like time travels? Oh, gosh, to the, like, the slave plantation? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's all I can think of. I'm horrified for you. It was, I, I just did not know what I was getting into at all. Um, 
Yeah, like, you know, getting stared at on planes because I would go to the airport and be the only black person on the plane. The only person of color on the on the plane. Um, like, I remember one of my friends came to visit me, so I picked her up from the airport, and I walked in, and everybody just stared. Like, I've never had that experience before where I walked into a room and people just, like, quiet down and just kind of look at you like like you're wrong. Right. Like, that not is... not even the couple of times I walked into a sorority house that that happened. Right. Well, and especially at Alabama, they'll get fined. So, <laughs> yeah, I just I don't think people uh, have really dug into a career story where they've had to consider like, hey, maybe I don't move here because of racism, because pretty much. Everyone we've talked to this season who is a person of color has not had this part of their story yet. So I'm glad you're being very candid about it because I just think it's something that people don't really think about (laughs) because they're not moving, you know, like they're not thinking about that. Yeah. And like I there's a reason why I only lasted six months. Um, And then I was glass cliffed. So I I was. um. I was just like entry level organizer coordinator. Um, And in hindsight, like part of the reason why this job was so hard is because I was undiagnosed ADHD. I did not have a clue. Um, And once I had left the structures of formal schooling behind, like it became extremely obvious. Um, (laughs) There was the culture shock, of course. And then there was the part where I it wasn't that I wasn't qualified for my job because I very much was, even though. They should have hired someone from Utah or at the very least Mormon to do that job. Yes. Um, Because that's the really the only way somebody in that job could succeed. Um, But and I found this I have to tell this backwards a bit. I found this out after the fact that my job was split into two immediately after. So it was my job and then there was a directorship. Yes. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. Again, podcasting, <laughs> famously visual medium. My mouth was wide open because how many times does this happen to people, though, where like, especially women, where we leave and then it's going to take two people to replace us or it's going to be a promotion for the next person. That's wild to me still. Yeah. And indeed. So they did hire at least one black girl, but she was from Utah, born and raised. OK. OK. Well. So exactly exactly what they should have done the first time around um but you know i was very much blamed i was put on the first of many many pips like for my job um not the pips (laughs) yeah the pips yeah um adhd horror story (laughs) yeah for those listening and you're like what does that mean uh it's corporate slang for a performance improvement plan and essentially nine times out of ten it's just a way for an employer to put you on a probationary period before they have cause to fire you Mm -hmm. and they'll make it up they'll make up reasons (laughs) oh yeah so that was that so I went to LA for a week for a family reunion and I came back and I quit like (laughs) (laughs) well bye (laughs) yeah um and I very few mementos left over. Like I still have like my grocery uh, rewards card on my keychain. I <laughs> <laughs> the true, true millennial memento. Yes. Um, I still have my library card, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're like trying to get the hell out of Dodge. I w- gone. Yeah. It's a shame because I had such a cute little apartment. It was really adorable. 
you did i loved that apartment uh and then from there did you go straight to grad school after utah no so like that was the original plan was to be in utah for a year and a half since i graduated in december i it was a bit awkward um so instead of interning or working retail or whatever biding my time until grad school and fall 2015 the original plan was to go in fall 2016 so take that mini gap year right and like catch my breath get my bearings um but no utah derailed that plan so i went home and i gosh i spent the rest of the year um job hunting really and then finally like i broke down i was like i gotta i gotta be a temp so i temped pretty much all of 2016. Um, I was at the Kennedy Center. I was at this little nonprofit called Results. Um, they did education policy. Um, I worked at the Smithsonian. So like I was at pretty cool spots. Um, yeah. But at the time it sucked, like the uncertainty of everything. Um, like I remember at Results, I trained my own replacement. So I had that experience really early on where I was like, where my mom was like, well, wow, how come you didn't just ask them to hire you if you're if you were doing the job anyway and mind you I didn't have a boss because she went on medical leave um she had breast cancer so I actually ran into her like a year or two ago um in a completely (laughs) different job so she was interviewing she was like I know you and I'm like yeah how's it going Um, (laughs) um so like I was brought on to like help them plan their annual conference so I was doing that basically by myself and they hired my replacement and they were like, Samaria, train her. And like, that was a lesson. Yeah. (laughs) About advocating for yourself. Um, But it didn't occur to me to like when my mom asked me that and I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Cause I, I'm thinking and mind you, I'm 22, 23. I'm a baby. (laughs) Exactly. Like none of us know this right out of college. So like it wouldn't, I like, I was running on the assumption that if they wanted to hire me, they would have said so. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah rookie mistake um it's okay we lived and learned yeah yeah um but it was just it was a very crushing year um there's something about being 23 that sucks nobody likes you when you're 23 like I still stand by that I 20 2016 specifically was a rough year for for me as well but I mean even the election aside, it was just a rough personal. Everyone I know in our close friend circle, we're, we were going through it that year. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so toward the end of that year, I did get a new job. I went back to Planned Parenthood, but I worked for the national office in D.C. So, complete, <laughs> yeah, completely different vibe. There were actually a few people that I'd run into, like on the activist circuit that worked there. Um, so I wasn't alone, uh, had much better boss, much better colleagues. Um, it was, it was a lot better. I, you know, the president of the organization did not scold me. Um, right. yeah. Well, so when you were in undergrad, when did it kind of crystallize that like, oh, I'm going to be a full-time advocate slash, you know, nonprofit work kind of course of action? I would say junior year. Um, so sophomore year is when I started. Um, you remember Bama Students for Life used to always chalk. Um, oh God, don't get me started. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I will never forget like coming out of class that one day and just like the signs that they put up 
and me just being like, why? Why is this allowed? It was it was a nighttime run in and it said abolish <gasps> womb lynching. And that was probably honestly like they could they can blame themselves for why I'm like this. Yeah. <laughs> why, well, why I'm doing the work, because I mean, I could have. But if I don't, I don't think if I solved that chalking, that specific one that was yeah. so racialized that I would have been like, oh, no, <laughs> this <laughs> this is the path. All I can think of is Winston Duke in um, Us, where he's got the baseball bat, and he's like, you want to get crazy? We can get crazy. Like, that's my internal monologue when people pull that shit. It was a switch flip, you know? Um, Like, instantly, I was like, I have to do something. This is unacceptable. Yeah. Um, So that was sophomore year, very early on sophomore year. Um, And that's when I joined, well, it's now Urge Way. Um, At the time, I was going to say, I only know it as Urge. Yeah. At the time, it was Alabama Alliance for Sexual and Reproductive Justice. And I joined in on that, and that was all she wrote. And then junior year, I loved being a junior. Junior year is so magical. Um, (laughs) And I just hit my stride, and I was like, I could do this for the rest of my life. And my dad, poor guy who was like please no because he knew what I would eventually find out is like how dangerous this work can be and he was like you can do literally anything else but please (laughs) (laughs) please not an activist and please not for like abortion rights well and I think the younger you know when I say younger the people who might be an undergrad right now listening to this they might not exactly know all of the history of I mean we had an abortion provider get killed at church you know i remember that and people that's that should have still be national news in the conversation but it was so long ago now that it doesn't get brought up as much and it's interesting to me that your parents were more concerned about your safety than any sort of political disagreement yeah um like i grew up in a pretty standard issue like black family where like people vote democrat um Mm -hmm. probably a lot more conservative than you know, the general public realizes, um, but not not necessarily like the conversation on abortion, you know, growing up was either that's between you and God or uh, it, nobody's going to be stuck with this baby but you. So it's right. up to you what you're going to do about it. Um, and so and my dad, my dad, especially, I think is probably the more like probably the more liberal of my of my two parents in this sense and I think and I think that's because I'm his only child um and I think that changes the dynamic like (sighs) where it's like when you're a dad single dad only child only child's a girl you like you're you're faced with the consequences of things in a in a very concrete way than other parents might And so my dad was like, (laughs) he's very means to an end about this, where he's like, it's what's best for you. Everything else is irrelevant. So if like if I like I had a pregnancy scare when I was like 17 and if I had gotten knocked. Yeah. So if I had gotten knocked up, I wouldn't have told my dad um, because I would have hopped over to D.C. (laughs) and evaded the parental notification laws that Maryland had. Um, Right. And just t- taking care of it and figured it out. But, like, if I had told him, he would have been like, well, 
it's between you being a teen mom and you going to college and there's nothing stopping you from going to college. So off we go to Planned Parenthood. Like it wouldn't have been a matter of, oh, that's a human life. It wouldn't have been a thought in his mind. No. And, you know, I, I adore your dad. So we just need to I say all the time that we need to, like, clone his empathy and just, like, <laughs> ship it to the rest of the world. Um, I love your dad. Well, I guess it's it's funny because this will kind of overlap, I think with what we've been discussing, but what specific education did you get that you felt was like especially beneficial to this career path, formal or, or informal education? Yeah, there's so many different ways to think about the like education. Like Utah was an excellent education. Like I'm, I have enough of distance from it and I've been in therapy for a long time <laughs> enough to like appreciate it for what it was. Um, even if, you know, it was a hard lesson to learn and so young. Um, yes. Oh, my God. You know, I appreciate having been a temp. I like I appreciate having had to work, you know, at the grocery store as a cashier. Like that was that was a lesson. Like one, you're never above something. Um, Amen. You're never above something. But also, like, there's no such thing as when we're talking about upward mobility, if that's something you're interested in, there's no such thing as continuous, a continuous climb. Like you're, you're going to fall off somewhere at some point with something. And what you do with that is more important than you falling. And so, um, and also I think everybody should work in food service in some capacity at least once. Yes. It's, it's good. It's good for, it's good for character development. Um, (laughs) Um, and so just really appreciating like what it takes to really get somewhere and like being able to sit down and recalibrate, um, this, I was only there for maybe three months, but you know, it was, if you need to pay your bills and like, if you need time to really think about, are you going to go to grad school? Are you going to, you know, keep working? Because that was the conversation in my mind. And also, like, who cares? <laughs> no one's like, no one's looking at you but you. And this is something I've taught my sister time and again, because she took like she graduated in the pandemic and, you know, first year of college got screwed up took a gap year and I she was like oh I'm going to be behind everybody I graduated with is going to be graduating and I'm going to be two years behind I was like there's no such thing and also no one cares about you <laughs> like no and I don't mean that in a bad way I mean no one's no one's looking at you because they're worried about themselves exactly. I was like so don't feel guilty don't feel ashamed don't feel like you're competing with anybody but yourself because you're 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 not um and that's that's what working like at the grocery store, that's what 2016 taught me. That was an education, um, like divorcing myself from this arbitrary measure of success that does not that does not exist. Right. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> academically, uh, like my history degree and I ended up like kind of DIYing a concentration. Um, so I did like women's history, history of social movements. I took a few classes on like history of reproductive rights. Um, in the U.S., my history capstone was reproductive health care in early modern England. I'm still very proud of that paper. You should be. That was, um, 
incredible. For for those that don't know about Bama and some of the capstone projects, can you kind of give them a brief what it is? Yeah. So I did two capstones. One is part of Blunt um, and one is part of um, the history program. So the history program, major program at the University of Alabama um, requires all graduating seniors to complete a capstone. And so you every semester you have a choice of about three or four different seminars and I chose history history of women in Europe um, and within that topic you can choose basically anything so I did reproductive health care that's what I love that's what I cared about that's what I did um, and since it's history and they're teaching you how to research like baby's first research project you like you have to <laughs> you have to be specific um, and so I chose something that would not require any language skills um, so England, <laughs> being completely real about that. Um, and I did, uh, let's see, the early Elizabethan period. So like 1500s-ish. Yeah. So I did a little bit into the 1400s, a little bit into the 1600s, but largely the 1500s that century. Um, and it was cool. So I tracked, what did I do? I tracked basically the beginnings of the transition from midwifery to um, doctors handling childbirth. I tracked the beginnings of childbirth being like a woman owned affair to being something that men were in charge of. I tracked the beginnings of, let's see, ah, the beginnings of like anti-abortion sentiment. Um, it happened a lot later than people expect, but this, there yeah. were like seeds planted during that time. Um, let's see, I tracked like, it's oh, nothing old, nothing new is old, old again, nothing old is new again, something of that nature, because a lot of the change happened because um, of the introduction of capitalism. So it paralleled that. It was influenced by that. Um, the rise of the medical profession as um, the medical profession um, and how gendered that was. And so. Oh, I love talking about that because, you know, I yeah. love medical history. So it's like, oh, the women knew all this stuff. And oh, we're going to make sure we slap a title on it so it can only be guys. <laughs> yeah. And just like how knowledge that's considered feminine um, gets devalued over time once men start wanting it. Um, it. It's pretty good. I even got to talk about a little, like, political history, um, like the demonization of women as witches. Like, it's always a very okay. convenient excuse. <laughs> well, and I, the reason I wanted you to get into these specifics, not just so the audience kind of knows what we're talking about, but I think it really shows that uh, when you are so passionate about something and you're so focused on it and you know you want it you can kind of create your own path in a way um and that's kind of been a recurring theme in all these interviews I've been doing with you guys uh I love that you got to go so deep as an undergrad because to me I wish that I'm always like god like this is stuff that I want everybody to know especially people who are able to give birth like if you have a uterus this is absolutely history you should know about um I didn't do a whole capstone on it, but I did take that exact women's history class because <laughs> I, I wrote like a mini, you know, a miniature a final version of that one. But, um, yeah, I just 
I think the more we have these conversations, it's like, oh, yeah, if you really want something, you're kind of just going to have to make it happen in America because that's our society. Like, that's Western capitalism. (laughs) Yeah. And as an activist, I didn't feel right going into the work if I didn't understand, like, the roots um, of, you know, the social, cultural, political realities that we have now. And so I think a big problem in just in the public consciousness when it comes to abortion, reproductive rights, access, you know, everything from birth control and abortion to prenatal care to, you know, childbirth and beyond, is that I don't think people understand that there's a story. Like, they're not connecting dots. They don't realize there are dots to connect. Um, And so, like, a lot of activism is not sustainable. Um, We keep having the same conversations every five to ten years. Um, People don't know how or don't understand how things that are happening in Florida or Texas. They think, oh, that's just something uniquely terrible to Florida and Texas. And Utah taught me this, too. Alabama taught me this. Um, Is that at best, those are, like, beta tests. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) At worst, it's just more of the same. And it's, it's so easy to get it, like, things through a, leg- a legislator 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 a legislator so <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you learn a word by reading you don't know how to pronounce things um hyperlexic gang <laughs> <laughs> um you get things through a legislator and people don't realize that this is just more of the same and because it's more of the same there actually is a way to combat it there is a way to fight against it there is a way to stop it in its tracks but if you don't know the history of something if you're not learning from the elders you're not learning you know from cycles past you're not going to know how you're not going to know how to adopt it for you know 2023 and beyond um and i love history because history (laughs) history is very cyclical time is a circle um (laughs) and like if in the 1500s in england we're talking about capitalism and demonizing like (laughs) demonizing knowledge and we're talking about anti-science and we're talking about, you know, corrupting and co-opting systems. It's looking <laughs> real familiar. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then surely, surely there's something to learn here. Right. I love having these conversations with you because we always, you have to laugh, right? Because we as a society are just going to keep having these conversations. And I think the only way to not have a cynical outlook on that is, you know, maybe it's slightly better each time, but what keeps you going? What, what really pushes you to keep doing this incredibly important work when it does feel like, Oh, we're just going to have the same story again and again and again. So it's, it's funny you should ask that because last couple of years I've been like questioning if I'm like even an activist anymore um and that's because I don't do much grassroots work anymore um you know I like my official job title like my actual day job is um development operations coordinator so 
I spend my days looking at like CRMs and Excel spreadsheets. Um, and it, like, I still work in gender justice. Um, and honestly, one of the more like niche leftist um, nonprofits, Urgent Action Fund. And so, like, we support grassroots activists and we support grassroots movements. Um, like, we fundraise so that we can give small grants directly to people on the ground it's it's a very it's like it's a very unique model um but I I feel like oh because I'm 30 because I'm not necessarily marching because I'm not like lobbying anymore um that perhaps activism like isn't mine to own anymore um and then like, I get a call two, three weeks ago that someone needs very illegal help. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, you're the, it's like, oh, but you're the only person I think to ask. And, I mean, what 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 do you do with that? That, yeah. And that's activism. Absolutely. You know, and I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I guess this is still something that's mine. That's still something I can do. I'm still contributing. I'm still part of the fabric. I'm still part of the network. I'm still plugged in. And just because it looks differently than what it looked like five, 10 years ago, doesn't mean I'm not doing it. Um, So I guess what keeps me going is knowing that there's always, there's always something to do that, you know, that there's always a new day. Um, There's always a new place to fit in. Um, Like People change all the time. I change, needs change. Um, but that doesn't mean that unless I just literally like just stop and opt out, which would completely collapse my community and my life as I know it, honestly. Um, there's <laughs> there's always the next step, whatever that step may be. And like I realize I don't like saying no to people when they need help. Um, yeah. Like... I felt so alive that week. <laughs> you empathetic? No. Uh, I know. Gosh, for better or for worse. Um, you know, I like there's that there's that wheel, that chart that's like, oh, different forms that activism take. And and it's one thing to be like, oh, well, I'm the organizer. I'm the advocate. And then there's parts of that wheel that like someone has to take care of the kids. Someone has to, yes. you know, keep the medical supply tent up and running. Someone has to cook for all of for all of these people. Um, and I'm like, oh, that like once I was in that position, I like I finally understood what that meant. Someone like someone has to stay home. <laughs> stay behind and keep the fires burning and I'm a fires burning person either for good or for now it doesn't matter but either way um knowing that I still like I'm still part of that that I it it helps that keeps me going um and also I'm just really hard-headed and stubborn and I like to fight so (laughs) (laughs) again another theme that keeps popping up in all these stories you just have to be hard-headed, I think, when you feel so strongly about something. And um, I that was a whole sermon. I was sitting here nodding my head, and I was like, yes. Yes, Sister Johnson. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, a word. Um, I also just talked to a guest earlier who uh, 
did not turn out to be a pastor, but thought she could be at one point. And so now that's on my mind. Um, but yes, these are like little sermons. And I think it's so easy to forget that admin can be activism because somebody's got to keep track of all this. Like somebody's got to be a safe place for that information, all that personal data of, I mean, especially now I think of the poor folks running the Yellowhammer Fund. And, and you and I can talk about that off pod, but that's a whole other nightmare yeah. that we currently live in. Um, <laughs> I knew this episode wasn't going to be like super uplifting, but you know. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> you know, it happens. Um, but if there was one kind of myth that you could dispel from your line of work, what would your lifting of the curtain be, so to speak? My line of work. Um, and it's, it's so cliche. It's so typical, but like, I think people in abortion rights spaces or even just feminist spaces in general, um, people assume (laughs) that we are an unlovable, miserable bunch of people. Yes. And (laughs) everybody's angry. (laughs) And I mean, we are angry. And uh, honestly, that was speaking of the education question, like, learning to embrace anger as mm. some something good a force for good um was a very important lesson to learn um like it's very easy to burn out in this um and anger is a big reason why um and that goes into sustainability as well and learning how to channel anger and use it constructively both personally and like externally is is very important and it's something you have to learn over time like I had a burnout and then and then like rebuild before I figured out like, oh, we're talking about a candle. We're talking about a fireplace, not a bonfire. Um, (laughs) But uh, like even in that anger, like the source of that anger is just a deeply empathetic group of people, because I don't think you can do this work without caring for people so hard that you end up hurting yourself. Um, And people die from this work because they give so much of themselves you know they stress themselves out they put themselves into a literal poorhouse, like because you know any money coming in is immediately turned around and given to someone else you know as someone said we're all passing the same 20 dollars around yes <laughs> very true in artist like, circles as well it's yes. like <laughs> it's my turn with the 20 dollars um <laughs> And like I could be probably have doubled my salary or at least be making 20, 30, 40, you know, thousand dollars more if I were doing the same kind of thing, but in corporate. Um, And that's that's a common that's a common song like my lifetime earning power. If that's something we can care about for like five seconds, it's probably severely crippled because I've been in nonprofits and I've been in this kind of nonprofit space. I've been in this kind of activist work um like Yellowhammer fun my girl was running that from like a picnic table for years before it picked up and so <laughs> love them like, dearly but yes unfortunately that that's the reality like you just have to you just kind of have scraps and you make so, a meal from the scraps yeah so that's that's the myth like or you know when I was when I was escorting at at the clinic, like people would be like, Oh, where's your dad? You, your dad must have left you. And I'm like, My dad sends me $200 every Friday. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> I had, I had to tell him he's not allowed to come to Tuscaloosa more than once a semester because he was, he was ready to move. Like I don't, like just a whole bunch of stereotypes about the kind of person, about the kind of woman who 
join these spaces who's attracted to this work and I mean yeah maybe like I'm I, I would feel like being an abandoned kid is as good a reason as any um but that's that's not nearly the whole story the whole story is that people love people and care about the state of the world and care about folks being taken care of and this is how it manifests yeah and you do incredible work uh last question because I know somebody's gonna ask what did you wind up getting your uh graduate degree in I went to Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh um and my degree is in public policy so I have a master's of public management and MPM concentrated in public policy. And that's a whole nother story because I went in for the actual public policy degree and flunked out. And they offered to transfer me to the public management degree program instead, um, or I could leave. And I almost did leave. Um, but I was like, that was too much work to not get a degree out of it. Like, I found, <laughs> like, I know, it was, I was like, I know I literally just learned about sunken cost in econ. <laughs> But not I, I'm not oh, I'm not no. going to be forty thousand dollars in debt and have nothing to show for it. I don't think so. Right. Um, so I transferred to the public management degree, got a new advisor who was the one who told me I have ADHD. Um, and the way she told me was really funny. Um, I, you know, it was our intro meeting. So we were, you know, brainstorming, putting together my semester schedule and she was like, oh, are you registered with the disability office yet? And I was like, for what? And she was like, oh, for the ADHD. You know you're eligible for that. And I was like, what ADHD? Did, <laughs> did you diagnose me? Like, and, like the look on her face was like, oh, I oh. was not supposed to do that. <laughs> and she was like, well, whether you have it or not, I'm just saying I have ADHD and you sound exactly like me, but you should go to the disability resources office anyway. And I'll make sure they give you like accommodations regardless. <laughs> she she was a wonderful advisor. Um, but yeah, an angel. <laughs> that, that's that was Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. And we could have a whole episode just about this is people listening to these are week by week are going to get so sick of me saying that phrase but I keep discovering these you know because it's somebody's whole life well their whole professional life I keep discovering these little side threads where I'm like oh we could have a whole episode about that oh we could (laughs) grad school was a ride it was but I feel like seeing where you were before versus where you wound up after it all makes sense in the bigger picture of things um but yeah, I just uh, thank you so much for being so open with your time and with yourself and with your story. And um, is there anything you want to plug, like the Urge website or anything like that at all? Your own stuff. <laughs> well, I just shared with Urgent Action Fund. We are hiring, guys, and we pay very well. Fully remote, four-day work week. Come join us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> four-day work week. Well, I do. I have one of those unicorn four-day work weeks. I'm off every Friday. Um, yep. So I highly recommend it. It's a directorship position, but you're probably qualified if you're listening to this. So you should <laughs> you should go check it out. <laughs> uh, and y'all know what I'm going to say. Please, if nothing else, please, please, please go donate. If not to Urge, then to your local um, abortion rights funds because... They need it. We all need it. Um, Abortion rights are for everybody. So until next time, guys, I appreciate you listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.